Some people believe the rapture of Christians out of this world is simply escapism. It is no more escapism than Noah getting on the ark before the flood. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. Some Christians say they're not ready to be raptured out of this world. They've got too much to do. They've got grandchildren to take care of. But one pastor who believes all Christians should be ready to be raptured now for the surprise of their lives because the rapture will be a total surprise is Pastor Jack Hibbs, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And listen, my mom is going to come back with Jesus in the atmosphere. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise. You say, well, wait a minute. Where is she? Is she dead or is she alive? Oh, she's alive in heaven with him. But her body is floating around somewhere in the Pacific. Listen, he's going to call the dead up and out of the water and up and out of the grave. And the Bible tells us that the dead will rise first. Listen, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air. Listen, and we forever will be with the Lord. This is the greatest thing. Outside of salvation, this is the blessed hope. It is absolutely awesome. And you say, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, you believe Jesus come back today? Yeah, I thought he was going to come back yesterday. And I'm hoping he comes back today. I'm not joking. I'm not saying this because I'm up here. I mean it. The more you meditate, read on the word of God and pray and consider what the Bible says about heaven. Chino Hills, where I live, as beautiful as it is, I want out of here. Heaven awaits us. It's a promise that he's made to his bride. First Thessalonians 4, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died, that is, died in Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen to him. Then we who are alive and remain, remain shall be caught up. There's the word harpazo in Greek, rapture, Latin, caught up, violently removed upward, together with them in the clouds. Ooh, sounds like John 14 to me. To meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, freak out, bite your fingernails, and go nuts over this stuff. You're supposed to comfort one another with this stuff. All this should be exciting. So I'm not excited about Jesus coming back. Well, are you a Christian? Yep. If you're not excited about Jesus coming back and you're a Christian, that that means you're not ready. You need to get ready. You need to get ready. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath. Boom, right there. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get more clear than 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. You will not be punished for your sins during the tribulation period. You know why? Your sins were punished where? What do you think he was doing there? The cross. He was taking all of Jack's sin. God the Father placed upon Jesus all my sin. If the Lord comes back in my lifetime, I hope today, I will be talking to you or we'll be having lunch and all of a sudden, all of our pants and clothes are laying around the table. I mean, I paid a lot of money for this shirt. I'd like to take it with me, but it's not necessary. I won't need it. A change. Number two, understand why the rapture is the believer's hope. Looking for the blessed hope. Our Jehovah Witness friends say Jesus is not God. Titus 2.13 is one of the strongest arguments. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. He's coming back for us. The rapture was, is, and will always be the believer's great hope until it happens. Pastor Jack Hibbs says, always be ready to go with Jesus Christ into a wonderful rapture. It'll be the time of your life. Our guest is Jeff Kinley.
author of Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. And isn't that amazing, though, how God does this? Because it says the dead in Christ will rise first, and there's plenty of people that have been cremated and had their Mm -hmm. ashes spread here and yon and all kinds of things, but yet God is going to bring everybody their resurrected bodies, whether you're alive or whether you've already preceded those that are still walking on this earth. But the God that made all the stars and the universe and created mankind, of course that's not hard for him to do, but it's just astounding. It really is. I mean, if you think about Genesis 1-1, says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He did it without any pre-existing materials. So if he spoke out of nothing the worlds into existence, then certainly he can bring a person's body out of nothing. People who have been extinguished by fires and eaten in the sea and blown to bits in war, certainly he can do that kind of miracle. And the greatest thing of all, God's going to give us a brand new body that is so amazing and so capable of doing things we never thought imaginable. We're going to have the same kind of resurrection body that Jesus Christ had with the ability to do some pretty incredible things. And that body is imperishable. It doesn't get sick anymore, lasts forever. Plus, it will enable us to withstand the holiness of God in heaven to worship Him in ways that we never could in our earthly body. Oh, that's beautiful, beautiful, Jeff. Beautiful. You wrote, the dead in Christ will rise first. Believers in Christ will come, I like this, bursting out of their graves, out of the deep ocean depths and remade bodies, reunited with their spirits from heaven. It'll be a glorified state in which will last for all eternity and will return to heaven to remain during the tribulation on earth. We won't be here, but the coming of Jesus Christ for his bride will be as if the very soul has been snatched out of earth. That's pretty heavy because spiritually this seismic event will send a colossus aftershock, hence the name of your book, reverberating across the globe. That restraining influence by the Holy Spirit will be removed. The days of Noah will probably look like nothing compared to what's coming. It's true. I mean, the moment of the rapture, there will not be a single Christian on the planet. The light will be completely totally extinguished for a period of time. The earth will be in spiritual darkness like it has never been in spiritual darkness. It's going to trigger a lot of chaos, a lot of anarchy. I mean, these riots that we saw after the George Floyd death will be nothing. This thing's going to be a pandemic across the entire earth. People are going to loot and steal and kill, and all the property that is left behind by believers is going to be looted and stolen, houses invaded, bank accounts pilfered. Think of all the things that could happen when only evil men are left behind. That crisis sets the stage for a one-world government to form under a very powerful, persuasive, and cunning man known as the Antichrist. Right, and moments after the rapture, billions of people will experience panic and chaos and confusion and fear, and there'll be skyrocketing suicide rates. Millions will go insane. Think of that. The loss of family and friends will lead to depression and despair. Many people will wake up and think, Uh Uh-oh, I think this is the rapture. I mean, they may explain it away with aliens or some black hole sucking people out. But don't you think a lot of people will say, that's what we've been hearing? Yeah, I really do believe that. In Revelation 6, once the sealed judgments have been released, the great men of the world, the kings of the earth, the rich, the strong, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the 
Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. They're not saying, wow, aliens have brought judgment. Wow, the universe is swallowing us up. No, they're telling us that they believe it's God's judgment. If they believe it's God's judgment, then it makes perfect sense for them to believe that it was God's removal of his people in this rapture thing. The rapture, the removal of the church, is what started all this stuff, or or at least began to put these things into motion, and it was followed up by even greater judgments on us. So that's why we are hating and killing all of these people who say they're Christians during the tribulation, because it's your God, it's your people who caused all this misery to happen to us. But instead of saying, and what was I thinking, let me repent immediately, some will eventually, but at the same time, I think they're just going to simply be saying, I hate God for doing this. And it says they blaspheme the Lord. So humanity just keeps getting worse and worse and worse all the way to the Valley of Armageddon. Boy, that's well said. Paul prophesied in Second Thessalonians 2, God would give the people of the world a great delusion during the last days so that people would embrace this satanic deception because of Satan's powerful signs and wonders, doing these lying miracles, even the Antichrist supposedly coming back from the dead. But just as God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so people will believe Satan's lies, the Antichrist lies, because they reject God's truth. So God will, in fact, harden their hearts. He really is going to harden their hearts. People have been told that God is just only a God of love and mercy and grace, and he'll let you in. Don't worry about it. Rob Bell says everybody's going to get to heaven anyway. There's no hell and that type of thing. That's another satanic lie. What God actually does say is that there is a very, very serious and terrifying penalty for rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says it right there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, those who did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, for this reason God will send them a deluding influence so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Bob and Jerry, as I think about people that I know that don't know Jesus, that think it's just a fun thing to reject him and live their own lives, there's going to come this point where after the rapture, they're going to be given a judgment. And part of that judgment is God will enable them to believe this lie of Satan, because that's part of their damnation. They'll go on to receive the falsehoods of the Antichrist, and eventually they'll worship him, which in essence it says they're worshiping Satan when they do that. So it's a very serious thing to reject Jesus. And if there's anyone listening to this program right now who's kind of on the fence about whether or not to give their life to Christ, you're rolling the dice for eternity. Not a good chance you're going to come up a winner unless you give your life to Christ now. So true. The tribulation, the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple and says he's God and worship me. So it's not right away he asks people to worship him, is it? No. He becomes this Messiah-like figure that brings peace to the world amid the post-rapture chaos that's going to go on. His oration skills, fantastic. He's a great persuader. But at some point, someone's going to assassinate him, and him coming back from the dead is going to be his way to say to the world, you see, I'm really God. And that's when he steps into the Jewish temple and invades the Holy of Holies and commits the abomination of desolation. And then people will say, wow, he really must be God because he's obviously risen from the dead. And so people are going to just give their lives to him. He's going to speak, the Bible says, unimaginable blasphemies against God himself. So the people of the earth will be taking their cues from their own God they're worshiping 
which is the Antichrist, and they'll blaspheme God as well. In order for this Antichrist to commit this abomination of desolation, that's really a powerful statement. But anyway, it's been prophesied by Daniel, Jesus, and Paul. First of all, this Jewish temple has to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And there hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD when it was destroyed by the general Titus, leading the Roman legions to destroy Jerusalem. There needs to be this rebuilt temple. Yeah, there's so many converging signs that are happening just about the temple. In the last major election in Israel, they had three candidates. All three of them had as part of their platform a plan to help rebuild the Jewish temple. You've got people who are debating over where the temple will be built on the Temple Mount, allowing for both the mosque and the the third temple to be there. I personally believe it's going to be where the mosque is currently right now. The Sanhedrin has been reformed for the first time in 2,000 years. They believe that the Temple Institute can come together and construct a makeshift tabernacle in about four days. So in terms of just being ready, I mean, the Jews have already drawn up the plans, they've trained the priests, they practice the sacrifices, fashioned the temple vessels and all of the garments according to Old Testament specifications. There's nothing left to chance with these Orthodox Jews. They're ready to rebuild their temple, and the Bible says they're going to do it. And I even read one Muslim leader said that the temple could be built in one year, but you're saying it be constructed in as quick as four days? Well, it'd be like a makeshift tabernacle, like a tent version of it, while they're building the other version. But yeah, I think it certainly could be built within a year. The whole point is so that they can reinstitute those sacrifices, and you can't have an abomination of desolation without a rebuilt temple. And the rebuilt temple can't come unless there's a peace treaty. So all these things are linked together like chain links, these prophetic things. But everything that we see happening in Revelation in terms of these major prophetic events are things that we're seeing in emergence and in their embryonic and developmental forms right now. I wonder if you could give the listener a chronology of what you see happening. The first thing, a rapture, then maybe the Battle of Armageddon, and then Jesus comes back, the millennium, the new earth comes down from heaven. Give us a schematic. Yeah, the rapture would be first, obviously. And the rapture is a signless event. In other words, there's not a specific prophecy that is to be fulfilled before the rapture. In fact, there are no more prophecies left to be fulfilled before the rapture. It's just kind of like we're waiting for the curtain to open. So the rapture begins. The next thing that happens is the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel. It's Daniel 9, 27. Conceivably, there could be some time between the rapture and the signing of that treaty for this chaos to erupt and for him to have a crisis from which to go in and bring a sense of calm and peace. Some people think the war of Gog and Magog could happen in that intermediary time. In other words, that would account for the Muslim powers, the Muslim military forces across the world to be wiped out, as Ezekiel 38 and 39 says they will be, which will then enable the Jews to rebuild their temple because there's no one to oppose them anymore on the Temple Mount. And after that begins the seal judgment, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments. And you can read about those in your Bible. But at the end of that time, it's when the armies of the world, the Bible says in Revelation 19, are going to gather at Armageddon. And it says their purpose for gathering in chapter 19, verse 19, says they are assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And it's speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ returning from heaven. The armies of the world are convinced by Antichrist that they can actually overcome, defeat, and kill God so that the Antichrist can continue his reign on the earth indefinitely. But, of course, the Bible says that Jesus, with just a word from his mouth, slays all his enemies. At that point, he casts the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. 
Satan is bound for a thousand years, and Jesus Christ sets up his millennial thousand-year kingdom on this earth. At the end of that time, there's a great white throne judgment where everyone will be purged out of the abyss, out of hell, and they're going to be standing before God. They're going to be judged officially and finally by him and then cast into the lake of fire. And Revelation says the torment of their smoke will rise up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day and night, all of those who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. And after that's the new heavens and a new earth. God's going to remake this whole place. And there's going to be complete, total bliss and righteousness and joy for us who know Jesus forever. The beauty of this is Christ is coming back with his saints and we are coming back in our resurrected bodies and we get to rule and reign with him through this thousand years. Where did all the people come from that are going to still propagate? They're still going to have children and are these children going to live a thousand years? If Satan is bound, does that mean they don't know evil? They don't know good? And then why would they turn their backs after seeing Christ reign for a thousand years? Why would they even want to sin? and choose the devil? Yeah, that's a great question. There are going to be Christians who will be alive at the time of Christ's second coming, and those people will simply be ushered into the millennial kingdom. When they die, they'll simply be given resurrection bodies at that point. But obviously, babies will be born during that time, and these people, these Christians, along with those who will be born, will possess their sin natures, particularly the ones that will be born And they will actually be given a choice whether to follow the Lamb of God and his righteous kingdom or not. And then Satan is released at the end of that time to deceive the nations one more time. And Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that he gathers them all together and he tries once again to overthrow God and God brings down fire from heaven and consumes them all. But what it teaches us is that even in a perfect environment, in the presence of God himself, how wicked is the human heart? So wicked that in that scenario, in that environment, there are people who I'm sure will still turn away from God, enough so that Satan can amass a great following when he comes one final time to deceive. So that tells us why we need our sin nature to be eradicated, to have new bodies, to have glorified bodies, for our spirits to be completely changed, because there will be people that will follow Satan and his end-time deceptions. So this millennial kingdom is after Christ returns a second time, and we will be with him, and we'll reign with him. Sounds like it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Some people believe we'll just go back to the original Garden of Eden and the vegetable diet, but whatever it is, we're going to love it. I guarantee you, any food that God's going to feed us in the millennial kingdom will taste better or as good as any juicy steak we've ever had. Amen, I love it. So when we... (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I'd be happy with cupcakes. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So we'll come back with Christ after we We've gone to be with him in heaven. We'll come back with him, and we will reign with him. Is that where he said you'll reign over five cities or ten cities? Yes, exactly. And that's chapter 20 and verse 4 of Revelation says is that we're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. And that's one of the things that he talks about. Even in Romans, we have a co-inheritance with Jesus Christ. We're going to reign with him over cities, like you said, and over people. And we're going to judge angels during that time. I mean, there's going to be so much responsibilities that God's going to give us during that time. And many things that we obviously don't know, we've never even conceived that God has planned for those who love Him. I just want to clarify, the millennial kingdom is before the new earth, the new Jerusalem, is let down from heaven. I want to make that differentiation. Yes, after the millennial kingdom comes the new Jerusalem, and that's in uh, Revelation chapter 21. This new Jerusalem is going to be an amazing thing that God brings down from heaven. It's a giant cube that's 1,500 miles in every direction. 
One Bible scholar calculated, he said, if every person were in Jerusalem, they would have hundreds and hundreds of acres just to themselves in terms of space. Of course, we're going to have a whole new concept of space and spatiality during that time with the ability of our bodies to do things and travel places. In an instant, everything's going to be different, everything's going to be changed, and everything's going to be better. Isn't this just the most exciting thing, though? If we're having a hard day, I just think, oh, look what's to come. It's just going to be wonderful to be in the presence of the King of the universe, Jesus, and then to live with this beautiful, perfect love and joy. The only way that this can happen is that a person needs to be born again, a new creature in Christ. So that's why there will be no sin as far as the believers go. We're totally different in Christ, but there will be no sin ever again as far as the believers go. No sin. There'll be no crying. God will wipe away every tear, the Bible says. He's going to make all things new, it says. If your best life is right now, then you're in for a huge disappointment (laughs) for eternity. God says your best life is ahead of you. I have something planned for you that nothing in this life can compare to that gives you uh, the ability to endure it. In fact, Romans 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's talking about what God's going to give us on the other side. So if God can make all this universe that we see around us out of absolutely nothing, if he can make things so beautiful with colors and sounds and music and all these things, then why don't we believe that God could do even greater than what he has done here and now and turn this sin-cursed world into a paradise, into another Garden of Eden, where every single aspect of joy and happiness and significance and fulfillment and righteousness will be our experience 24 hours a day. Oh, hallelujah. No more grief, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And some preacher wrote a book, This is Your Best Life Now. And then another preacher said, If this is your best life now, then this is hell. (laughs) Exactly. So true. Yeah, God has greater plans for us. Oh, it's just so wonderful. Do you think we're close to the rapture? Could it be a year? Could it be, honestly, a year? Could it be 10 years? Because God is a very patient and sovereign God, His patience is much greater than mine. God is so sovereign that He has a date set where the rapture is going to happen. Nothing's going to accelerate that, but nothing's going to slow it down either. But it could happen today, and everything is ready to go right now. The stage is set, the back drop has been done, certainly Christ could come back this very day. Well, I hope we can finish this program because, you know, we'd be raptured out of here. They'll never hear it. Aftershocks, Christians entering a new era of global crisis. We didn't just read this book. We absorbed it. It it became part of us. We loved your book. Give us a wrap up, a conclusion, and maybe invite people to join us in this opportunity to be raptured by Christ and to live forever with Him. These may appear to be very dark times, and they are perilous times, challenging times times for everybody on the planet. At the same time, this is a great opportunity. It's just like a bride getting ready for the wedding. This is an exciting time for us as well. First Peter 4, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Love one another fervently. Help the rest of the bride be prepared for the wedding as well. Prepare your heart, bride. Christ is coming back perhaps very soon. It's an exciting time to be alive because we only get this one little opening of the shutter for us to get the Word of God out there and to tell people about who Jesus is. And then the rapture comes, we go to heaven. 
So take advantage of these last days. Would you want to invite people to know Jesus? Absolutely. Okay. Each of us have sinned before God that we're born sinners, but Jesus Christ bore the the brunt of the sin debt and the penalty for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead to prove who he was, and now offers salvation to us. This prayer might express the desire of your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for me, a sinner. I put my trust in you right now for my salvation. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new life and make me into the person that you want me to be. Amen. 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 Jesus name. Make us more like Jesus. Oh, we yeah. love you, Jeff. You're a blessing. Our guest has been Jeff Kinley, author of Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. Jeff Kinley has given us a beautiful picture of what believers can expect at any time we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds and be with Him forever while this degenerate world goes through the greatest tribulation described in the book of Revelation. After the great tribulation, we will return with our Lord as Christ establishes a millennial reign on earth and reigns and rules the earth for a thousand years while Satan and his demons are held captive in hell. Then at the end of that thousand years, God will bring the new Jerusalem down from heaven while we live in perfect love, joy, harmony, and excitement, watching the new creation of our God. Creating new things, we'll explore space and learn more about who our great God and Savior is. It's our joy and the joy set before us that enables us to go through whatever difficulties in this life with the expectation of what he's got planned for us. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1817, Rapture Ready or Not. That's number 1817, Rapture Ready or Not. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Please give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things are passed away. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd. 